Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to our 22nd episode. This month, we're celebrating that lanky schoolmaster, Ichabod Crane, and his cranium-free pursuant, the Headless Horseman. Be forewarned. Though we explore several manifestations of the Washington Irving classic, at no point do we discuss the Fox TV show, Sleepy Hollow. At the time of recording this, it was too new, and we were afraid it would just get cancelled before this episode was released. Instead, we cover other interpretations of this early American ghost story that has stood the test of time. So, heads up, and keep your head in the game, and don't lose your head as we examine the legend of Sleepy Hollow. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. undead. So you ever Some talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Not the third switch! Give my creation! Okay, so it hasn't been a ton of time since we've done a recorded gab. Nope. Session. Have you been up to anything spooky? Um, well, I have been inspired and reinvigorated a little bit in just my love for things horror. Did you get it's kind, of, kind of like a post-Halloween shot in the arm? Kind of. You know, my temperament tends to be I like things that are spooky, you know. Sure. Um, I, I do like scary, and I think I go for slashers a lot more often than you will, maybe. I don't want to put words in your mouth. On a, on a graph, yeah, you do yeah. above me. Yeah. So it's not that I don't go for blood or whatever. It's just I tend to like things that are a little less gritty. But I have been wanting to expand my horror knowledge a little bit. A lot of this has been kind of the shot in the arm came from me discovering another horror podcast that I'm really into called Killer POV. Do you know about this? I think you briefed me. Yeah. So Rebecca McKendry and Rob G from... Rebecca McKendry is the marketing director at Fangoria. And Rob G from Fearnet. And then Elric Kane from Inside Horror, who also owns and runs the Jump Cut Cafe. Ah. Anyway, the three of them get together and they talk about horror. And they have a lot of insider information. They talk a lot about titles I've never heard of. They keep repeating certain classic titles that I've never seen. That are, are there I, any that you've gone to see since hearing it repeated? No, not yet. What I didn't realize is that Netflix has a lot of obscure horror and a lot of foreign horror. And I realized that my foreign horror knowledge is not extremely well versed. So I've been just been trying to explore a little bit. So like I've been watching a little bit of 1970s French horror. Like the thing is horror, as we've talked about, kind of bleeds across lines. So really kind of the film I watched was less straight horror and more vampire erotica. <laughs> but... But I'm just I'm just trying to broaden my horizons. Sure. So who knows what kind of topics I'll be trying to encourage. Or, but I just think it, it expands my ability to talk and brings new ideas <clears throat> into my head. So I've, I've been trying to go down that path a little bit, I guess. And I also saw in the process of this, 
a trailer for a film that is in limited release in LA, but it's on VOD right now, okay. video on demand, and um, it's called Contracted. It's a little indie horror flick that is. It's basically this... STD horror. <laughs> Wait, what's STD stand for? Oh, oh sexually transmitted disease. You know I mean, what? a girl sleeps with a guy, and then she starts... <laughs> I got a rundown from this from the guy I sat next to while watching your play. Yes, my friend from the zombie... Okay, yes. Russell. Yeah, okay. Oh, he knew about this movie? Oh, yeah. Actually, like, as like you were still finishing up, and he was leaving, I was like, all right, good to meet you. And he's like, you know, there's a Q&A for it at 10 o'clock tonight. Oh, boy. Downtown. And I was like... Yeah, I'm going to miss that one. <laughs> well, the trailer, just watching the trailer, I had to honestly put my hands over my eyes for some of it. it it's really, really awful body horror. It's very like Cronenberg the Fly. Things are falling apart. Okay. Her eyes are bloodshot. It, lo- it looks really rough. But I love the idea that she sleeps with someone and then all this stuff starts happening to her. But really like creepy zombie looking stuff. The trailers, if you can handle the trailer. Anyway. My point is that I do love trying to learn more about certain indie horror that's coming out to try to support people who are trying to make horror movies and pouring themselves into it. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in that kind of thing, contracted, maybe by the time this airs, we'll still be on VOD or just seek it out. Try to seek out indie horror because there's a lot of big budget stuff going on. So be like cat folks and go outside your comfort zone. There you go. What's your spooks? What's been going on with you? Well, sometimes I do things just so I have something to gab with you about. You know, if, if I that's pretty sweet. If I feel like a, a spook-free month coming up, uh-huh. I'll make an extra effort. So, you know, on Facebook, uh-huh. the part under events where it says suggested event. Yeah. And sometimes it's like like a concert. Oh, is this kind of like the time that you ended up going to Lords of Salem because it was like, come see Lords of Salem with Rob Zombie, and it well, just kind of happened? No, th- that was just an advertisement. And oh. that's, that's like an, an, that was an actual event that yeah. you can go to and Got buy it. tickets for, and that's a public event. But sometimes the, uh, the suggested events, it just finds a couple people you know yeah. who are going to something and says, maybe you'd like this too. Oh. And, and you look at it, but sometimes it's like someone's birthday, and you're like, hey, Facebook. Do you think I should just show up at some guy's birthday? Right. <laughs> you know, even yeah. though it is, it's not in someone's house. It's at like a bar. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Uh-oh. Okay. So I saw the guy who clued me into the, the horror trivia night. Yeah. That was a public event. Right. And I saw that on Facebook and I was like, hey, that's great. Let's go, you and I, Kat. And that was a good night. So then I saw he was going to something called Scaryoke. I was like, oh, no. What's Scaryoke? So I was like, hey, this is close to where I live. It's scary I'm not sure what that means. I tried to read the description. It was like, hey, everybody, it's scary. It looked like a thing that happened a lot. Okay. And there was like a picture of Drew Barrymore from Scream Great. in it. And then it said, thanks, killing edition. So thanks, killing. That's a Thanksgiving horror movie. Yeah. So I was like, okay. The best I could reckon it was it wouldn't be karaoke with scary songs. That's not a lot of songs hmm. that you would find. That in, was my first guess. In a, well, that would be like you could it, sing Monster Mash and like. Yeah, after the first guy sings Monster Mash, then what's left? <clears throat> yeah. In your average. Car- Don't fear the Reaper. I mean, there's a lot. I bet you could come up with something. But anyway, that yeah. wasn't what this was. No, it wasn't. My second thought was, you know how some karaoke bars will show like clips of uh-huh. movies and like funny sketches and things in between their songs. Sure. So I thought it would be like that. Like someone would get up and sing, and then some guy behind like a, a computer would show a scene from a horror movie. Okay. What it was, once I got there, I realized was just like a guy, a horror movie director, inviting his horror movie friends out for a night of non-horror karaoke. Oh, that's a misleading title. 
Well, not if you're one of the friends of the guy. True. But if you're a stranger thinking this is an actual event. Then I my first hosted. instinct is spooky songs. Okay, spooky songs or my supposition. But I got there and I saw the guy that I knew mm-hmm. uh, who was not surprised to see me. Yeah. Which, good. And he's like, hey, you made it. As if he had invited me. And right. And I didn't just read his Facebook. And I he's was got, like. He's got the touch. So, uh, so what's different between this and regular karaoke? He's like, nothing. It's nothing just, at all. It's just a bunch of horror people doing it. And that's when I realized everybody there knew each other. Okay. Yeah. So that would have been an okay time to just go home. <laughs> sure. Realizing that I'd gone to a public place completely populated by people who all knew each other. That makes for a good story, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right amused. So I did was, you sing anything? I did. Well, that's that was me taking ownership of the moment. I was like, well, I'm not just going to leave. I'm going to put my name in for a song. I'm going to sing it. and I'm, I'm going to have my Diet Coke, and then I'm going to leave. How'd you know? Well, because I know you. Yeah. So I had my Diet Coke, and I was sitting in the back, and I was like, this is sad. So then I said, oh. <laughs> I was in the what back. What about with your friend? He was um, mingling. Mingling and had just gone through like a hard breakup like two nights earlier. Oh. So he was busy taking care of that with alcohol. Sure. So <laughs> I never want to be the guy who only knows one person at the party. Yes. And then glues on to that one person. Mm-hmm. I'll check in with him. Yeah. But... You know, you're in charge of your own good time. Yeah. So I was sitting in the back with my Diet Coke all alone. Yeah. And then I decided, oh, look, there's a table in the middle. And I'll go sit all alone there. So then I was sitting in the middle all alone. Right. And it took about like over an hour for my name to get called. But I got up and sang the Banana Boat song. That's kind of fun. Popularized for my generation in Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah. And when it comes to karaoke, it's a good call and response song. The, I've never seen anyone sing that at karaoke, which is crazy because everyone should sing that at karaoke. Listeners, it's a good go-to. Yeah, okay. You don't even have to sing. It's a talkie song. Yeah, you yeah, just talk. yeah. And trivia co-written by Alan Arkin. Really? Yeah. In case you were worried he wasn't rich. He, <laughs> wow. He co-wrote the Banana Boat song. Weird. Uh, so yes, it was a night put on by the director of Big Ass Spider. Did I tell you? Oh, you I know about Big Ass Spider. You haven't talked about it, but the folks over at Killer POV interviewed the guy. He was really fun, like, and he was a really fun interview, and he sounded like he'd be a really great guy to get to know. Mike Mendez. Mike Mendez. Yeah, he seemed like such a cool guy. I really want to see Big Ass Spider, and too, because it sounds funny. He put together a good evening for his friends. Yeah. Of which I now don't consider myself one, because... He is a stranger to me. Sure. But I hung out as an event for yeah. a couple hours. Uh, at the end of the evening, an actress came in who I knew from an annual zombie party uh-huh. that I like to go to. Yeah. So it was probably my first time ever seeing her in normal clothes. Uh-huh. And it may have been her first time recognizing me not with like blood on me. Yeah. So after spending like a couple hours surrounded by horror people you didn't know, it was nice to run into a horror person I knew. Totally. I'd say that's a pretty good... Horror gab, if I do say Fortunately, so I'm large, dressed in black, and bearded. So you look like you fit in with I, those folks. I blended just fine. It wasn't like, who's that guy? Yeah. Unless you're wondering, like, who's the guy sitting all by himself with a Diet Coke? Mm-hmm. Horseman's Avenue. 
Marshall Hicks. I'm Kat Knipe. And this is Boys and Ghouls. And we're up to episode 22? I think it's 22. Holy smokes. Wow. And in this episode, we take a good long look at The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. What was the name of the original book? Well, or it's, short story. it's just a short story called The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Okay, there you go. But the book it was included in is a book of short stories called The Sketchbook that Washington Irving wrote. It's gone under uh, a few names. It gets shortened down to just plain Sleepy Hollow mm-hmm. or The Adventures of Ichabod Crane. Or in the 1999 film, it's just called Sleepy Hollow. I think in the 1922 silent film version starring Will Rogers was just called The Headless Horseman. Okay. But most of the time they say The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Will Rogers. They use Sleepy Hollow. Uh-huh. Of the park. Uh-huh. Uh, Will Rogers State Park. <laughs> yeah. It's lovely. Have you been? Yes. Yeah. I filmed something there one time. So coming up on our Halloween episode, I knew that something I like to watch every Halloween is the Disney cartoon version. Mm-hmm. And... That also will show up in a lot of, like, whenever Disney does one of those, like, clip shows, like, Disney's halloween Atastic. You showed me some of that this year, yeah. Yeah, and they'll just sort of reorganize all their clips and give it to a different host, and they've done maybe, like, four of them. And, and they usually use scenes with villains from various, uh-huh. Yeah, it'll go yeah. on, like, Wonderful World of Disney, and Jonathan Winters hosted it one time, or sometimes it'll be, like, a pumpkin puppet. Yeah, and then we'll who, who to host the little interstitials in between where yeah, they'll and, yeah, and, introduce you know, the like, clips. That was scary. Let's join our friend Ichabod Crane. And of course, the Huey doing Louie trick-or-treat one. Yeah. We'll always be in it. And some good favorites, but not always the same. Anyways, I thought about mentioning it for our Halloween specials mm-hmm. podcast, but I knew there was just so much to say about The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the entire canon mm-hmm. that all resulted from the book, that we should really just give it its own episode. Sure. If we could but journey back to that period in American history when the city of Manhattan was but a market town, we would discover in one of those spacious coves which dot the shores of the Hudson, the little village of Tarrytown, and just beyond, a quiet, peaceful place, yet somehow mysterious for its legends of haunted tales and local superstitions. Sometimes, to pick up extra money, I do filler audience work. Like, I'll sit in the audience for a game show or a talk show or something. Mm-hmm. And I was in line with my book, Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And uh, the person next to me, you know, I roll my eyes because, you know, the, the universal, one of the universal symbols of don't talk to me, I have something to do, is to have your nose in a book or to sure. have headphones on. But for some reason, people don't pick up on that all the time. So I'm sitting there with my head in my book trying to go, just please, nobody talk to me. I don't want to talk. I have a book to read. And someone's like, you smell nice. (sighs) God. Thank God that's not usually what happens. But she's like, oh, what are you reading? So I show it to her. And she's like, oh, I've never read that. I'm from there. Go on. I was like, you're what? She's like, yeah, I'm from Sleepy Hollow. It's not spooky at all. And I was like, what? <laughs> she was kind of uninteresting and didn't really have much to say about did, it, which did she blew say my mind. Moved? Recently. Just recently. Okay. And I, in, I in researching about, for this, uh-huh. I looked into Sleepy Hollow the Town. Yeah. And like how much ownership they really give over it. Right. A lot. And here's why. It started as Sleepy Hollow back in the day of Washington Irving. Right. And then it got co-opted into Terrytown mm-hmm. and just became North Terrytown. Oh, I didn't know that. And around 1900, they got a uh, GM auto factory, and that was the source of much income and jobs. And then in 1996, two things happened. Oh, no. The GM factory closed, and they changed their name to Sleepy Hollow. Oh. I believe to bring in tourist revenue. Sure. It was like, uh-oh, no factory. Yeah. What can we do? Uh-huh. Oh, we have this great connection to um, popular culture. 
All we have to do is go back to the name that we had over 100 years ago. <laughs> and so they did it. So really, Sleepy Hollow has only been Sleepy Hollow since 96. Wow. In one sense. Sure. You know, I'm sure you can go into the library and still see books marked North Terrytown. Yeah. Should we talk about Washington Irving? Just a brief... Who is buried in Sleepy Hollow. So it's not like he just picked the name off a map. Yeah. He had a personal connection to the he town. He did. He did. He was born April 3rd, 1783 in New York City. He grew up self-describedly as a very curious young person. He was very much kind of like in the legend of Sleepy Hollow, the residents of Sleepy Hollow are described as being dreamlike and given to fancy and kind of thrown to superstition. And he was a lot like that as a kid. But Washington Irving, as a young boy, there's a forward in the sketchbook and there's a bit called the author's account of himself it's like three pages long but he talks about his childhood and the fact that he would go up to the highest hills he could find and just survey the town oh one of the okay this is one of my favorite things he says i knew every spot where a murder or robbery had been committed or a ghost seen he was a fan of gathering up local histories for himself and just absorbing them he loved spooky history Kind of like me as a child. Um, I identify so much with him. Mm. But one thing that he also was fascinated by, because he was so entrenched in the idea of history and ghost stories and fables, was he was really into travel books and desperately wanted to travel the world. And so when he finally went to England in 1815, it was... I mean, imagine how, you know, there wasn't much history in America, at least. Exactly. Yeah. So, so to which, go to which England, which is the, full the headless, of ghosts and so much history. The Headless Horseman so important, I think, because you need people to have ghosts. Mm-hmm. And there were Indian ghost tales. Yeah. Plenty of those. But for young uh, Washington Irving, there wasn't a ton of, how, how, how do I politically correct, correctly, you um, know what? There wasn't a ton of white ghosts. Right. <laughs> sure. Running around. <laughs> So while he was plenty enchanted by Indian ghost oh, lore, he sure was, I'm yeah. sure nothing ever really hit home like the idea of like a ghost that spoke English. Which is so fun that he kind of creates one of the early American ghost stories. Sure. You know? and, and it's one of our oldest legends that's, you know, not, it, it's fiction, but. About as soon as you could, really, because America was 1776 and you need a little bit of like a percolating time between the death of someone and their ghost. You know what I mean? You yes. You can go like, it was the one year anniversary and kind of buy it. Right. But usually it takes like a generation. The more ancient it is, the more believable it is in a way. Yeah. So really. Because you don't have anybody alive to really refute what actually happened or. Exactly. A generation's passing Mm -hmm. is really best for that. So if this guy died during the Revolutionary War, the Headless Horseman, then it was written in 99, 1799. You know, you'd think I would have that. While Kat's looking that up, let me say that I went to get my copy out of the library and had to go to the juvenile section, the kids section of the library, which is attached to the adult section, but like the carpeting is kind of fun (laughs) and the colors are a little brighter and I don't like to hang out and browse in the kids section. Yeah, I I, can understand why. Like when I wanted to read The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Mm -hmm. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I got to go in the kids section. You could have just borrowed mine. Check with me next time you want to borrow classic okay, children's you know, literature. That sounds a lot easier than just <laughs> yeah. like trying to not look suspicious and being like, single guy here, just a big guy roaming the... Uh, the, <laughs> the shelves, oh, by the way, in the kids section only come up to like my chest. Of course. They're not very high because no. it's for kids. You stick um, out kind of like a sore thumb. You really stick out when you're just a childless adult roaming the aisles. <laughs> I um, really appreciate like, that. Is it under C for Clemens or T for Twain? 
uh, I'm going to have to be in here a little while. And then as soon as <laughs> I get... <are> sweating. <laughs> as soon as I get my book, I like hold it at an angle where you can see like, just here to get a book, folks. Not taking <laughs> pictures with my phone. In the kids section, time to go. Oh, boy. And then I just beeline it for the adult section. Um, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow was published in 1820. When okay. Washington Irving had already been in England for five years, he wrote it while he was in England, hmm. um, which I think is interesting. And, and I think a lot of it was that he was inspired, number one, by European fables and, and the history. And um, in sure. fact, the way he described it is well, that, Europe, that Europe was rich in the accumulated treasures of age. But then also he heard a lot of German folklore while he was there, which inspired in a lot of ways the tale of the Hessian, you know, headless horseman. And... I've, I've been thinking, like, why make him Hessian versus British? Right. I think because the Hessians, by the way, if you're um, I had to kind of look this up because it had been a while, were German mercenaries sent by oh, sure. the British and they fought. Right. So I think part of it was that's an easy reason to have this enemy on American soil. But also he had heard there was a German legend about something called the Wild Huntsman that sometimes in the stories was headless, sometimes not. But that's kind of what he drew from. It was in updating, much like versions of um, the Headless Horseman will update him to a biker, a headless motorcyclist. Sure. His Headless Hessian was just an 1820 updating of a more ancient fable. Yes. That makes a ton of sense because I was thinking, like, was he making some kind of pointed political? No. It doesn't appear to be. I like your explanation way better. Yeah. In fact, it is so simple, and that's one of the reasons why I love it. And some of the adaptations, I think, necessarily become a little more complicated because if sure. you're going to stretch it into a feature, the short story does not give you a lot to go on. It's it's a very, very simple story. So, so you have to find a way to give these characters backstory. And and that's why, of all of the versions, the one that's most like the short story is the Disney version. And it's my favorite. After seeing all the stuff I saw, it's still yeah. my favorite. It's because so good. Because it's only 32 minutes long. And the short story itself is about 30 pages. So it pretty much does go. a great tight job of telling the story. Story. And boy, his, I want to talk about his writing and about the story before we launch into the filmic and TV adaptations, sure. if that's okay. But like, but I do want to set up the benchmarks of the story so that we can talk oh, yes. maybe about... You know, it's completely possible that somebody listening to this has never read or seen any adaptations of Sleepy right. Hollow. I had never read the story, somehow. You read it, though, this time, right? I had, but by then I'd seen enough adaptations that you can just kind of filter out its core. Yeah. First of all, I was absolutely mesmerized by his writing. Like, it's so oh. dense and artful and beautiful and so not the way our brains work today, at least for me. Like, there's such a difference in trying to read a modern novel versus reading this story. I mean, like, I have to really slow my brain down because the sentence structure, like, you know, sentences then were much longer and the sentence structure, the words, it's dense vocabulary. I love it. It's the English major in me, but... There was a part I liked and I was like, I'll just write down this sentence. And I realized the paragraph was a sentence. (laughs) Exactly. Which is why I thought, um, I just want to read a sample, just a tiny bit to give, as we were talking about the town of Sleepy Hollow, he says, he's describing the town. Um, Certain it is, the place still continues under the sway of some witching power that holds a spell over the minds of the good people, causing them to walk in a continual reverie. They are given to all kinds of marvelous beliefs, are subject to trances and visions, and frequently see strange sights and hear music and voices in the air. The whole neighborhood abounds with local tales, haunted spots, and twilight superstitions. Stars shoot and meteors glare oftener across the valley than in any other part of the country, and the nightmare with her 
whole ninefold seems to make it the favorite seat of her gambles. Um, I just love that because it gives you such a good idea of the enchantment of the town. It's like it, the whole town is under this bubble of a spell. And that, to me, is so core to this story. The fact that everybody in the town is given to superstition and mm -hmm. magical beliefs and they all believe in ghosts. That seems, in all the adaptations I have visited, it seems to have either been used as a core part of the story or turned on its head to change the story. Like, you know... It, it turned on its head like nobody believes? Well, specifically Ichabod. Yeah, sometimes it's the town that really believes and haints and spooks, in which case Ichabod is usually the straight-laced man of, of letters, mm -hmm. man of science. In the film adaptations. Yeah. Not in the book, though. Not in the book. Not and, in the story. And not it in the cartoon. Crazy. No. In the cartoon, everyone likes a good story, but it's really Ichabod who's the most superstitious the, of them all. Yeah. The great thing in the book is that there are a couple instances where it talks about how he loves to tell the townspeople stories. They'll all gather together for some kind of party, and yeah. he's the one weaving these elaborate stories, and he loves it. But And they, they're by a roaring fire, and everyone's safe. And then... Ichabod's on his way home and he's spooking himself because he's just told right. it's almost like going to the movies and watching a scary movie with your friends and it's mm -hmm. all fun and games but then you have to drive home and then or you know, that, walk that from walk your, back car to your car to, yeah I think I identify with that so much like when I'm reading it I'm like that people we do that today sure well especially back in the day you tell all your scary stories and it's like well time to go home street lights aren't going to get invented for another hundred years so <laughs> time to walk home in the dark Yep. In the book, everyone's kind of given to superstition, uh -huh. but Ichabod is sort of chief among them, and he has among his possessions like a book about witchcraft mm -hmm. that it doesn't get specific, but just says he reads it a lot. I kind of want to argue that the town seems just as superstitious as Ichabod. I think everybody yeah. is really given to all that. We're just focusing on this one person who's a little bit more and also almost seen as kind of knowledgeable, more knowledgeable about it because he carries books about witchcraft and spellcraft. Yeah. So he's kind of um, an authority. It's not like this one reads, therefore he doesn't believe. It's <laughs> like this one reads, so he's he knows really even specific. More. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He knows the names of all the ghosts. Right. Thanks to all of his reading. Yep. He was tall and lanky. His head was small and flat on top with a long nose so that it looked like a weathercock perched upon his skinny neck. Altogether, he was such a sight, seldom to be seen in broad daylight. Ichabod is always an outsider. So and, he's the schoolmaster and he, uh, of Sleepy Hollow. He falls for Katrina. Katrina Van Tassel, whose father is very wealthy. Don't think that it's one of the great romances of literature because mm -hmm. he dotes on her for just a little bit. And then all of the focus after that is on her rich father oh. and her rich father's farm. So even what was used to describe her, you know, she was a blooming lass. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I bet she was pretty. Uh, what's she into? Don't worry about it. Her dad's rich. There isn't a ton spent describing her. No. I mean, she's a nice, plump Dutch beauty, but and, there and are... one of her descriptors just meant she's well fed and therefore comes from money. Yes, and there are just paragraphs upon paragraphs about the estate that she lives on, her father's estate. How when he would go call on her, you could see all these signifiers of wealth, like the loom on the porch and the servants and the animals. And then he goes in the house and he sees the kitchen and it's full of various foods and like there's so much description of just the wealth. You know the, of the, the place. indicator of wealth mm -hmm. was for me. What's that? Coming up, Kitchen Island. Oh, oh, 
Oh, you mean in present day? Mm-hmm. Well, present day, and and as I would visit the homes of others, I was like, if anybody had a Ooh, kitchen, a kitchen island, island, it's like these people are rich. Yeah. So when you were courting young plump lasses, if their father had a kitchen island, an, an extra bit of attention will be spent on this one. I tell you. <laughs> It was upon the occasion of her father's annual Halloween frolic that Katrina chose to stir the embers of the smoldering rivalry she had created between Brom and Ichabod. After a feast, or a, uh, a merriment. A town merriment. A town With music merriment. and dancing and food. At the Van, Lots of food. Van Tassel house. And scary stories are told. So in the book, he's the one that tells the story of the Headless Horseman. Mm-hmm. But in my preferred version, the Disney version, it's Brom Bones right. who tells the version of the Headless Horseman. That's right. And that night, as he's going home through the wooded, scarier portion of Sleepy Hollow, he is beset upon by the Headless Horseman ah! who chases him around. And it's part of the lore that if you cross the covered bridge, that the horseman can't follow. You're and safe. he eventually does, but the horseman takes his head, which in the book. It's his head. Uh-huh. In adaptations, it's a pumpkin that sort of serves as his head. Yeah. So the Headless Horseman isn't headless per se. He's got a head. It's in, like, his hand. Yes. It's pretty gruesome. Yeah. So it doesn't really say if it's a skull or just a severed... A fleshy head. A fleshy Are head. Are the eyes open? Are the eyes closed? This is all left to our imagination. Speaking of imagination, because the next part is Ichabod makes it, and then he takes the head throws it at him. Hits him right square in the face. He's fallen from his horse and Ichabod is never seen again. But the next day, they find pumpkin pieces. Um, and his hat. And his hat. So in reading it, we're right there with him like, it's a head. This guy just threw his own head at him. His head. His head. But then the next day, in the light of day, they go, oh, pumpkin pieces. Implying that perhaps it wasn't really his head. Implying that perhaps it wasn't really the a headless, headless horseman. horseman. But maybe Brom Bones. Was it Brom Bones? I came up mostly on the Disney version. Mm-hmm. And it never occurred to me until the 1980 Jeff Goldblum version that it could ever be Brom Bones. Right. And it was only after that I was like, wait a second. Brom Bones has a black horse. The Headless Horseman has a black horse. Brom's a big guy. Headless Horseman's a big guy. I guess he'd have to wear like some big shirt. <laughs> Or something. Yeah. Then going back, it's like, oh, it's the story of a, I'll just say greedy schoolmaster who uh, goes up against the town tough, who isn't a bully. Well, in the book, if I'm remembering correctly. He's more given to waggish pranks. Yeah, pranks. I would say, yeah, yeah, in that sense, like he sneaks into the schoolhouse and they do, yeah, he and his buddies. He'll he'll cover up, well, in the book, they like cover up his uh, chimney hole. Mm -hmm. You know, he could have just gone and punched him in his neck. Yeah. If he was really a brute. Right. But instead, he's like, ho, ho, a fine jest this will make. <laughs> yeah. But then when none of his jests really seem to work, it's time to, to call it the big guns. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to chase him down, pretending I have no head. And at the end of the book, there are rumors that Ichabod left town and married a nice plump widow. Oh. And had many children who looked like him. And that's why people thought he, he'd survived. And it says he either married a plump widow or was spirited away by a horseman. So, I mean, it's kind of left yeah. open, but it's not so gruesome. It's just kind of, it's he was like... either scared away or, yeah. So that's the book in a nutshell. I mean, kind of peppered with some of the adaptations. But the first film adaptation, I believe, was the 1922 Will Rogers silent film. Did he play Ichabod? The Headless Horseman. He played Ichabod. The next one I explored was the 49, 1949 Disney animated. Which is kind of the ultimate in my book. It's the ultimate. It's so good. 
It was paired up with the Wind in the Willows adaptation, which Mm -hmm. was Mr. Toad. Mm -hmm. And so Basil Rathbone narrates the Mr. Toad story. And then they go back to like the library, uh, which is live action, but you don't see any people. They just go along a row of books. And then Bing Crosby takes over and goes, well, that's a good story. But over here in the colonies, we can uh, spin a yarn ourselves. Take Mr. Washington Irving. And then he goes into the story of, of Sleepy Hollow. And in this, not only does he narrate, but nobody speaks. Like, there's no dialogue. Nope. None of the characters talk. They'll sing, and he will sing through them. Mm-hmm. And or he, rather, and I guess the will... characters mouth some of the words he's singing some of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all Bing Crosby all the way through. He'll sing about what the characters are up to. He'll sing about Katrina. He'll sing about Ichabod. He'll tell us what's happening. And then when it comes time for the halloween gathering which which makes for many pumpkins and it's and a very halloweeny scene that's disney's addition to it mm-hmm. because in other versions it's the winter frolic yeah or just a party just cause so the party is lent to autumn time yeah anyways but disney drew the fine point on it and said the annual Halloween Halloween. gathering and what i love about the disney version is there's so many things they just got right like, the way Ichabod looks is Which, just exactly how he's described in the book. His ears are huge. He's very skinny. He's got a funny-looking nose. The huge ears, they kind of Bing Crosby'd Ichabod Crane. Maybe I'm conflating, but I'm pretty sure... Well, he might have had huge ears anyways. I think he might have in the book. I mean, but, he's definitely described as being a very gangly, awkward-looking scarecrow of a man. Well, Bing Crosby was kind of it. halfway there anyways. <laughs> But I'm, I'm going to say they kind of cross-beat him up a little bit. That's kind of cute. Yeah, and the only thing that really kind of pulls us to any era besides what's being portrayed in the animation is the music. The music's very... It's very much product of its time. Yeah. And what's great is Disney is all about the music. And even in the book, yes. uh, Ichabod, he also instructs the ladies. He instructs the choir. Yes. And he's a great dancer. Uh-huh. Which when I, I when I watch a, a Disney adaptation, I can always just picture the writer's room. And, and I can just picture them in a room going like, what if the dwarves whistle while they work? <laughs> well, that could be a song, right? And, and sometimes it really fits. And sometimes you can feel Disney really just kind of shoehorning in a musical number yeah. where it really might not have belonged. But in this case, man, In this case, it's already written. It was like it was written 200 to years. To be ad- adapted into a Disney whatever. I think even yeah. in the book, it describes him singing to himself or whistling to himself yeah. as he goes home alone. Like, oh. it's perfect. Yeah. Well, th- that's a whole other thing. And I guess I'll, I'll get to it now that um, Cat... You tell me that when you're all alone, you will sing the song from Halloween. I have two different ones that I do, but usually it's there's a song that Annie sings when she's on her way Is to the sort car. Of ups your courage a little? No, it just <laughs> it doesn't. Well, kind of. I mean, in the sense that if there's noise happening, then it's not scary silence happening. Okay. But you know, when Annie's on her way to the car to go meet up with Paul and she's singing, my Paul, I give you all, realizes she doesn't have keys to the car. No keys, but please, my Paul, leaves to go get the keys, comes back, car's already unlocked. Michael Myers kills her. Will you uh, stick to those lyrics or will you narrate whatever you're doing? Nope. Just Just like her. Stick to those lyrics. So you're not like, my Paul, I forgot my dryer sheets. Time to go back. Nope. 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 Um, and then the other thing, that one is, you know, that one fits perfectly. But I also will sing the song that Jamie Lee Curtis sings, which, by the way, she made up. 
I found out oh, that John Carpenter Halloween. and Deborah Hill were just like, I don't know, sing something. And she wasn't a singer. Like she, she was like, what do you mean sing something? They're like, just make something up. So the song she sings when she's walking alone with her books and sings, I wish I had you all alone, just the two of us. That's all Jamie Lee Curtis, which I love. All right. um, it's not an existing song. I always thought it was. It's not. But anyway, those two songs I'll sing on my way to my car by myself or just if I'm walking alone. But you well, have... When I am in the uh, the bouncy acoustics of an empty-ish parking garage, mm-hmm. just populated enough that people could be hiding behind various cars or lurking in shadows, Sure. I will whistle the same tune that Ichabod whistles when he first enters the thicket of woods where he is at his most afraid, which is a recall to the Katrina song. The Katrina song, um, You'll never forget that little coquette Katrina. <laughs> so he's by himself just going... <laughs> and then he starts to falter toward <laughs> the end as he gets a little nervous, and, and I'll, I'll do the falter as well. kind of forces out the, uh, and, and the frogs are going ichabod yeah and that starts up where <laughs> and that part taps into sort of a universal not a universal fear but a universal way in which we fear which is that the bushes are saying Marshall. well just that when we're all alone after great merriment through horror which is you know watching a horror movie yeah. in this day and telling age telling a scary story telling a scary story back in the day or reading a scary book you're like oh what fun whoo but then the real test is once you're all alone and every sound like your home makes, every creak or shadow, or you get out of bed because you haven't shut a drawer all the way and it's casting a weird shadow. And you're like, I just, you know what? I'd be more comfortable if this drawer was all the way in. Yeah. And while I'm at it, while I'm up, I may as well shut the closet door. Yeah. So any noise could then be um, a threat. A threat. We anthropomorphize sounds. We hear things in the wind. And it just grows for him. It's, it's, it's a great scene where the frogs are going, Ichabod, Ichabod, Ichabod. <laughs> and then the crow is going, beware, beware, beware. And then something, I don't know what animal could go like, Headless Horseman. Headless yeah. horseman. <laughs> it's horseman. a little bit but there, difficult some, for the willows some, some, to do. It me. builds and builds and builds. And, and then uh, the reeds are knocking against an, yeah. an empty log. And he realizes that gunpowder has sat down on a tombstone. <laughs> It really isn't going anywhere. But you can still hear the ba-dum, 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 yeah. ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. And then he realizes it's reeds and oh, let's all have a good laugh. And it's just at that moment when he decides there's nothing to be afraid of that the Headless Horseman shows up. Oh my gosh. Up. Were you terrified as a kid? I never saw this yes. as a kid. Or if I did, I don't well, remember. Did you see it for the first time like last year? Yes. When I showed you. it to you? I know. I don't know how, but Please, yes. Please, as an adult, tell me your overall impression and your impression on The Greatest Shot which is repeated just within this and always shows up in those Disney montages, which is when that hand goes over the moon. Yeah, I mean, it's still... That whole scene, everything you were just describing, you're doing a great job of like the thing saying his name and then the the clacketing of the reeds and then the curling of the black branches and then the cloud claws over the moon. All of it, it builds so well. The formula hasn't changed since well before 1949 and even in 2013. Like you have to be able to build dread and terror and it's an animated short film, but it works so well. It's super spooky. Oh, and the narration stops. Right. It's, it's all wind and noises 
noises and I, it's I, so spooky. I think it's, it stops. Like he just says, every sound seemed to grow in terror. And then like Bing Crosby, the narrator. We no longer have the comfort of the narration anymore. He's, he's, go, he's gone away. He's you don't gone. have him and anymore. He doesn't come back until like the next morning. Yeah. Waiting there. Headless horseman. Beware. And I'm getting out of here. You informed me that there was a 1980 TV version of yes. Sleepy Hollow starring my my longtime crush, Jeff Goldblum. I thought I was just finding another version. I'm like, oh, won't well, Cat be happy? And then your heart just like skipped two beats. Well, yeah, you because... know, you already knew about this, right? That I'm kind of obsessed with Jeff Goldblum. I knew you had a fondness. Oh, God. But now I'm going to hear all about Aye. it. Well, there's not much to hear other than give me 28-year-old Goldblum in, in the 1980 Sleepy Hollow. Give me... Had you ever seen him so young? No. Well, I mean, how old was he during... Um, Death Wish? The Big Chill. Oh. I don't remember when that yeah, was. That was early that was... 80s. I'd seen that. That was like five years later. But my biggest impression of Goldblum came early from The Fly. Not that he's attractive in every frame of that film, because there are a lot of times when his teeth are falling out and he's vomiting on his own food and, you know, but... um, Previous to that. (laughs) Previous to that. No, I just... And even now, like, even 61-year-old Goldblum, I can't... I don't know what it is. I just... I think he's the sexiest thing. Anyway, I'm all, I'm like, I'm blushing over here. She's got Um, roses in her cheeks. Yeah. I just love him. I think he's the oddest, most sexy, whatever. Anyway, but I do think he plays a good Ichabod Crane because he is a weirdo. Like, he's just strange. He's definitely skinny. Yeah, he's skinny. He's kind of got big ears. uh, (laughs) Well-spoken. Has anyone in here actually ever seen a ghost? I've seen the Headless Horseman. You're lying, Ted Dumkey. Well, I'm a singer. I almost saw him, fellas. And so the 1980 version, it was made for TV. Jeff Goldblum as Ichabod Crane. Meg Foster with her icy blue devil's eyes. Meg Foster. Playing Katrina Van Tassel. I knew her best from They Live. Yep. And it's like, with those eyes, wow. But there are some shots in this film where I'm just like, she looks like a modern day film, like where someone would be possessed yeah. By a, by the devil, like th- that's those are contacts. I like thought they were gray. They're, they're described as icy blue. They're ice. They are ice. They don't look like human eyes. They look like terrifying devil's cow eyes. Um, <laughs> but except that she, I mean, she's beautiful. It's just the yeah. eyes are so disarming. So you can understand why that people she would be so an actress. She plays Katrina. Things. She does a good job too. And my favorite bit of casting. You want to see who plays Brom Bones? Dick Butkus. Dick Butkus. Oh God, he's awful. You needed like a big lug. Uh, he, I mean, he's great as a big lug, but like slash comic relief. I'm I'm gonna take your Dick Butkus and I'm gonna raise you a Paul Sand because Dick Butkus, while I think he does fit the character in that Brom Bones is not the brightest guy, like he plays but it used to winning, used to winning easily because he's attractive and big Chicago and Bear. whatever. It's just that Dick Butkus's performance isn't period at all. He, he doesn't oh, totally, fit yeah, at no. all. He doesn't fit <laughs> no. the late 1700s. But Paul Sand, who plays Fred, his buddy, who's not a character in the book, but they just added this guy who hangs out with Brom Bones, yeah. is fantastic. He's so funny. Where, Every scene he's in, he steals I, I know it. I've seen him like a billion times. He's been in everything. I don't know if there's anything. He's kind of like the consummate sidekick. I want to say I was glad, like we knew that Goldblum was perfect casting as soon as we saw him. Everything would just click and be like, of course. Yes. Dick Butkus <laughs> as Brom, he won't transcend the material. No. But he will uh, play it well. And in that, 
he's at first introduced as like harassing Ichabod. Like he sets his dogs on him. Yep. But then it turns out the dog just wanted to lick him. Just wanted yeah. to lick him in the face. Yeah. And that's Brom Bones for you. But he enjoys watching Ichabod quiver and, he, beast, he, and run up a he tree. He trees him. Yeah. He, he gets run up a tree. But knowing that the dogs are harmless. Mm-hmm. And that's as good a Brom Bones prank as any you can think Absolutely. of. Absolutely. Dick Butkus's Brom Bones is constantly threatening to like be violent, but he, he isn't. No. He's still just a prankster. You know what he does? He, this is his prank. He's trying to gaslight him. Yeah. Drive, drive him crazy. Yeah. So he messes up the school. So it looks like it's been ransacked. Mm-hmm. Part two of the prank, clean it up. Brom Bones then goes and cleans the whole school and says, this'll fix his wagon. What a prankster. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, so the main difference in this version that I don't know if it was done in previous versions, but Jeff Goldblum's Ichabod is very skeptical. He's a skeptic. He wasn't born and raised anywhere near there. He comes from out of town and he... When people start talking about old Indian legends and, oh, this owl is chief running back or running back. Whatever, there's the um, bears for you. Ichabod is like, you mean to tell me ghosts? You can't be serious. And he doesn't He doesn't believe in all that hooey. I'm a, a man of science and uh, learning. <laughs> and I uh, dismiss the fancies that you're telling me. Yeah, precisely. So the difference here, number one, he's a skeptic who f- comes around because he sees there's this whole other storyline with the the previous schoolmaster? Well, a few previous schoolmasters had all gone mad and run off. But the one most recent, he keeps seeing mm-hmm. around because it turns out, though he is mad, he is not dead. No. And he keeps coming around trying to, I'm going to say, pick his moment yeah. to exact his revenge on Brom Bones, mm-hmm. who dressed as a headless horseman and ran him off a cliff. So at the end, what I think is kind of fun is that Ichabod and Katrina are betrothed finally. They kiss. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. But They're got a Ichabod... bunch of skinny, pale-eyed kids. <laughs> it is revealed that Brahm has been dressing as the Headless Horseman. But then there's this reveal that someone says, oh, they captured Brahm an hour ago. Yeah, like, he uh... was the one doing it. And Ichabod's like, but I just saw him not five minutes before you arrived. Yeah. And she's like, shh. Ichabod, shh, don't. Yeah, don't but he's he's suddenly like he goes from being a skeptic at the beginning of the story to now he feels that he really has seen a ghost, and for all intents yeah. and purposes, he probably has. Well, but 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 if Brahm is here, then then who was riding in the woods? But 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 but. <laughs> so this one says yes, Brom Bones did dress as the headless horseman, but there is also a headless horseman. Yeah. Who at his most menacing is playing Cupid, and what he does is he chases Jeff Goldblum to Katrina. And then sort of takes off on his own and rears his horse up. And it's like, I just love love is basically the, the all he's doing. The friendly Hessian ghost. Really, that's yeah. That's cute. That's all, that's all he did was like get those two together and, and, and like scare off Brom. Yeah. It's like, you know, hey, you've been trading on my name. Swish, swish. You two, kiss. <laughs> Headless Horseman out. How am I supposed to write for a guy that doesn't have a head? He's got no lips, no vocal cords. What do you want me to do? They froze the head. Wait, wait, they put it on nice. They put it back on in a precedent-setting two-day operation. You know, oh. it's like, will you use your imagination? Oh, he doesn't have a head! So there was a 19... I didn't watch this, but just to go over a couple okay. more iterations. There was a 1985 
version on a TV show, Shelley Duvall's Tall Tales and Legends. Oh, sure. Where Ed Begley Jr. played Ichabod Crane and Beverly D'Angelo played Katrina Von Tassel. So I, I encourage you to go watch it. There was an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark that was called The Tale of the Midnight Ride. And these people moved to Sleepy Hollow in present mm. day, or, you know, 1992 present day. And there's a storyline with the Headless Horseman, which I think is kind of fun. I think chronologically you've skipped over the Headless Motorcyclist. Please. An episode of the real Ghostbusters, the animated show. Is it good? It's fun. If you like the show, it's a quality episode. And the shtick in that is the Headless Horseman, who now rides a motorcycle, because that's a no-brainer update, is chasing down anybody who's friends with or the descendants of Ichabod Crane. He's always got an agenda. Which is why she lives in Manhattan now, because it's near bridges, because he can't go over bridges. Got it. Plenty of bridges in Manhattan. Yep. There is no horseman. There never was a horseman. There never will be a horseman. Ichabod? You can lock the door, you can bolt the windows, but can you survive the night? From director Tim Burton, Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, Sleepy Hollow. And then we come to 1999's Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. Starring Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci. Directed by Tim Burton. Mm Mm-hmm. I will say, I do think the visuals of the 1999 Tim Burton version Mm -hmm. absolutely match the feeling I get reading the story. Especially anytime when they're showing the trees and they're craggly and Tim Burton-y, and especially when the Headless Horseman just bursts forth from the trees or from the the tree of the dead or wherever he's bursting from and his tattered rags are flowing behind him it is positively beautiful and terrifying he's just this violent wraith coming from i mean it's it's perfect that part of it is just gorgeous it was a headless horseman you must not excite yourself but it was a headless horseman of course it was that's why you were here no you must believe me it was a horseman a dead one headless First of all, let's just set it up that Johnny Depp's Ichabod is not someone born and raised He's, he's not here. a school teacher. He's from, New, he's from the big city in New York, and he is a detective come to investigate murders that have been happening where people have been beheaded and the heads are gone. So yeah. th- th- that part is He different. is a lanky, outsider, man of learning. That part's all the same. He's lanky and hair no. falling in his face. Johnny Depp, gorgeous. He's a weirdo, but like a sexy weirdo. His awkwardness comes in his tittering fears. <laughs> and his Of everything he, from like spiders <laughs> to strange noises. He does that odd, surprised, pursed lip, funny, wide-eyed look on his yes. face thing over and over again. And it's perfect. It's comical. He's a little prissy. Yeah, yeah. You have moved the body? I did. You must never move the body. Why not? Because. Oh, there is a party scene when he comes to town and there are lots of jack-o'-lanterns everywhere. (laughs) And I was like, Halloween! That was fun. Yeah, instead of uh, ending at a party, this one starts at a party, which is good to get all the characters together and you meet Katrina, which is Christina Ricci. Mm -hmm. She's beautiful, as always. The camera loves her. Camera loves her. She looks the part. Yeah. She doesn't sound the part at all. I mean, she's got this really muddled American British. Like, it's just, it's a very inconsistent. It, for me, it's distracting. I think Johnny Depp, he's supposed to have this new American British accent, like this sort of, you know, I think he's shooting for British. And for me, as every time Johnny Depp does that, it's almost great. But he's, hers is just They bad. also gave her a ton of exposition. 
Yeah. There's and a lot just of... Just a lot of nonsense lines that were going to come back later to actually mean something, but she had to make it sound like, oh, look, the archer, how I have forgotten this thing in a fireplace. <laughs> Everybody got that? Let's talk about the blood. Okay, the blood is the cornerstone to my realizing that this was Tim Burton's nod at Hammer Horror. Hammer Horror being the Hammer Studios that made many horror movies between... I'll just say the 50s and 70s. Okay. Which gave us the great Christopher Lee movies, the yep. great Peter Cushing movies, and the great movies that had both Christopher <laughs> Lee and Peter Cushing. Yeah. And it those, boggles the mind. Those are at the top of the list. Um, so how did the blood... Well, they had a very distinct colored blood for the Hammer Horror, which you'll notice that everything in this movie that bleeds, be it a corpse that's been dead for a few weeks... The tree. The tree, a cardinal... Who gets like its head cut off? Mm -hmm. Everything bleeds this hammer blood. It's a bright, it's a but very deep bright red. color. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I think uh, Punningly is the British type of fake blood. Just looking at my oh, notes. Oh, okay. And it's one of the trademarks of them. Other trademarks, including they were very big on period pieces, um, not American colonial, but the same era, just over in England. Mm -hmm. Lots of men on horseback, scarecrows, villages with secrets, all. Very Hammer. And Tim Burton described in the commentary that Hammer had a habit of like long talking scenes and then horror, horror, action quick. And so that pace seemed to be the same. But if you want a fine point drawn on it, the use of Christopher Lee in the beginning <laughs> sure. as the judge, which when I saw it, I thought, oh, they just dusted off Christopher Lee. He's so old because his entire performance is seated. Yeah. And that's kind of what you do for old actors. You just go just sit in this chair and say these lines and... Then we'll all clap when you have a picture wrap. <laughs> then within a year after that, he was in Lord of the Rings, swinging a staff and kicking ass. Yeah. And then he was in the Star Wars movies. So I'm like, oh, okay. He was only sitting down because he was a judge. He wasn't sitting down because he's enfeebled. Right. Which I was very happy about. And it's fair. His performance is really fun and amusing because he basically sends Ichabod Crane off as almost like punishment. Yeah. Get out um, of my court. Yeah. Go to yeah. Sleepy Hollow. Go investigate this crap that's going on over here, which is really fun. And like Hammer Horror, I had a good sit. I'm no expert on Hammer Horror, but fortunately I know someone who is, uh, you know, Johnny Ray. Yeah. Johnny Ray. Big. Really? Hammer. Oh, yeah. Well, he was he actually. He does it all. He was reading a Hammer Horror book as I approached him for this because uh, one of their Dracula movies, probably Dracula, they found like eight seconds of lost footage in Japan or something. Oh, and it was being wow. added to the DVD. And so he's like boning up on the whole movie. Like he's, he's my go-to. I Hammer. had no idea. That's really cute. Oh, totally. Love, we're talking about Johnny Ray Rodriguez, who is an actor. He's, he's doing pretty well. Full name, Johnny Ray Rodriguez. Yeah. Check him out in uh, Princess Protection Program. Uh-huh. He's great.
in summary. In summary. Uh, we both like the book. I've fallen so deeply in love with the story from the book. I will probably read it every October because it's very Halloween-y to me. Oh, yeah. I think I'll read it every, just like well, I read I a watch, Christmas Carol every Christmas. I watch the Disney's animated Sleepy Hollow once a year. Yeah. Now, having watched it as research for this podcast, I have now watched it twice a year, and now that's unprecedented. Yeah. So I can say we, we both really like that. Mm-hmm. We both will probably revisit the Johnny Depp version. I will. I didn't expect to say that, but I, I really liked it. It's a nice mood setter. I think that movie will still be around. It feels timeless. It doesn't feel like 1999, which is great. So no shortage of versions of Sleepy Hollow. Plenty around. Plenty to come, I'd say. I'm sure. I mean, it is a quintessential American ghost story. Uh, one of the earliest, which you have to give it that. I mean, we needed ghost stories. We needed our own ghosts, and the one that we got has stuck with us very well. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, thanks for joining us. If you want to hear more, there's 10 episodes up of Boys and Ghouls at all times at boysandghouls.podbean.com and on iTunes or however way you found this. Just keep at it. And if you enjoy other kinds of content besides listening content, you can uh, follow us on Pinterest on Instagram, we are Boys and Ghouls Podcast, and I throw up really fun things I find around town, all kinds of spooky stuff on Instagram. Please follow us on Facebook, Boys and Ghouls at Facebook, also Boys and Ghouls at Twitter, mm-hmm. and Boys and Ghouls Podcast at Tumblr, and really anytime we find a uh, social media site that you can access for free, we'll try to meet you there. That's right. And you can email us. Oh, top of the list, boysandghouls at gmail.com for anything you want to say to us. Anything you want to uh, agree or disagree with us, or just say hi. Yeah. That's boysandghouls at gmail.com. And Kat, you've got going on. Yeah. On an unrelated to horror note, I've actually begun a brand new podcast. Um, It's a little less involved. You know, we put a lot of work into Boys and Ghouls, doing a lot of research, and Marshall does an incredible amount of production on our episodes to make them so much fun to listen to. This one's a little more off the cuff, but it is a podcast about sex in the city. If you're a fan of the show, or even if you're not, it's a really fun companion piece to the show, meaning if you want, you can watch an episode because each of our episodes discusses one episode at a time. So it's going to be a weekly podcast. It's called Carry On, the Sex and the City podcast. Spelled? Spelled C-A-R-R-I-E, like Carrie Bradshaw. Got it. Um, and so our first episode, as you're listening to this in January, is definitely already up. We're going to be releasing weekly beginning the first Monday in January 2014. And the reason we're doing it now is because we love the show. I can't get enough of it. I love to talk about it. And the last episode of Sex and the City aired in 2004. So we're... It's time. 10 years out. So it's kind of a retrospective, kind of comparing it, seeing how it holds up okay. or doesn't. So going one episode at a time, that will give you a maximum number of... Well, 94 episodes plus two movies. So I'm guessing it'll be 96 episodes unless we do any special episodes. Well, that'll so. keep you busy. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, it's not... Uh, don't worry. My primary focus is definitely boys and ghouls. But this is another fun little outlet. And we'll let you know because I'm sure Marshall will be on more than one of those 96 episodes. So we'll All have right. boys and ghouls crossover. It'll be really fun. So if you're interested, again, it's Carry On, the Sex and the City podcast. We're on Facebook. You can like us. Um, we have a Facebook page. We also have Carry On podcast at dot podbean dot com. And I'm sure that we, I haven't claimed them all yet, but we're going to have Twitter and probably an Instagram, all kinds of stuff. That sounds very thorough. Yeah. You're such a Miranda. I am a Miranda, Marshall. What are you? And I am a Charlotte. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us, folks. 
You can uh, listen to uh, new episodes on the 13th of every month or whenever you feel like it, because that's the beauty of podcasting. And Kat, as always, beware the moon. Beware. Beware.